0: And it's verses fourteen to twenty-one. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they might live. So that they who might, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is the word of God. Please join me in prayer. God, we are so grateful that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, Lord. We're grateful that you had a plan in mind. God, I pray this morning that you would fill Pastor Kyle with your Holy Spirit, that you would speak through him, God, and that we would all walk out this morning knowing you more. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated.
1: Thank you. Well, before I get started this morning, welcome. Thank you all for being here. Um, I did want to let you know, some of, some of you might be aware that, I hope this is okay that I'm saying this, um, but we had a little surprise for someone this morning that many of you know about. Okay, I can't say what it is. Um, so if you don't know about it, I'm sorry. Um, the object of our surprise is sick, <laughs> so the surprise is next week, okay? So if you know what I'm talking about, just do this. <laughs> yep. Okay, give me a wink, okay? Um, come here next week, and we'll do it then, okay? Um, it's still a surprise, so, so hush, hush, okay? Um, I do want to let you know, too, I forgot to slip this into our our announcements, but we're doing our annual outreach Trunk or Treat events on October 19th, and there is a sign up in the back. We have a lot of fun, and basically the reason we do this is because we want to get to know our neighbors, um, people who maybe maybe be a little bit intimidated to come to church. This is just a fun event where we can share um, our lives with them, show them we're not nuts, right? Um, Well, at least some of us. And it's just a lot of fun. We get to give back to the community and meet people and share Bibles with them. But we need help. Um, we need a lot of cars, actually, uh, usually about 15 cars we're hope, we hope for. And we decorate them and all this. It's October 19th, and we're going to have a planning meeting September 22nd. So if, um, if you're at all interested in that, um, sign up in the back. Let us know. If you can't do a car, that's okay. We still need other helpers. But just sign up in the back and let us know if you have a car or two or three that you're going to decorate. Um, and just so we have a tally of how many cars we have. You kind of need trunks for trunk or treat. You know, that's kind of the, the idea. So um, sign up for that. That's going to be a lot of fun. I also want to w- welcome um, four new members into our community. Um, we we um, have, basically, we live life together in our faith here. We, we pro- profess faith in Jesus Christ. And we believe that part of our discipleship um, is to live out that faith together in, in a local church. Um, just accountability and love and sharing and fellowship. So I just wanted to welcome um, Jay and Christina Hopkins, Mike Asselin, and Julie Gazard um, into our membership here at our church. So thank you. Give them a round of applause. And next week, we have a really also another exciting event. Aside from this surprise, we're going to be baptizing um, David and Barbara Frerich, and David's here right in the front. We're very excited about this. Um, I I hope that you can be here. Um, We'll do it at some point. What we're probably going to do is end our service a little bit early, and then we'll probably just all go outside. We're going to bring our tank in, and we're going to have them baptized there. So it's just so exciting to be able to do this. They express their desire to be baptized. Um, They also want to join our church, too, just formally, and partner in faith together with us. So they're going to give their testimony at this, and I hope that we can just all celebrate with them. I think we'll have some kind of finger foods afterwards, too, so we can hang out and just enjoy each other's company again. So, again, just wanted to let you know that, um, and that's it. That's all I got for you. Um, let's uh, turn now to God's Word and um, expound on the text that you saw on the screens. And Let's pray one more time. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for this wonderful morning that you gave us uh, to celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ is alive. Um, he is not a dead Savior. He is not um, lost um, in history, God, but he is alive, and he lives forever to make interse- intercession for us. God, I pray, Lord, that your word is powerful, that it would be heard and received, and that you would inspire all of us to follow you uh, faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope that you all, all received a, um, um, a, a bulletin and a pen. Now, those are helpful sometimes to take notes if there are things that interest you or things that you want to look up later on. Um, the, our sermon series this morning is called Basically Jesus, and we're not going through a book in the Bible like we normally do. We, we're taking a little bit of break for that up from that because... We want to explain to you what are the basic understandings of the Christian faith. What does it mean to be a Christian? What do Christians believe? And if you're very new to this, you might know some, some basics about it. But we want to go over what are the core issues of the Christian faith. Um, because we believe that part of our growth in Christ, the way that we mature in our faith, is to know Jesus more and more. Um, the Word of God says in John chapter 17, sanctify them, that means grow, become more like God and more like Christ. We are sanctified by truth, O Lord, for your word is truth. So we want to understand what is Christianity, not only for ourselves, but so that we can explain it to people who think or who don't don't understand it. So this is a great opportunity to do that. If this is your first or second time, you can go online and catch up, because we've been in in this for four to five weeks now. You can see the sermons that we've done in the past and look those up online under the sermon section. There's also a place on our website that says resources. I only can talk so much about each issue that we're presenting, each like core doctrine that we're, that we're presenting on a Sunday morning. There's so much more to say um, and um, things to talk about, but I'm really trying to keep this brief so that we can don't, not miss the forest for the trees, so to speak. But if you're interested and you want to learn more, go to that resources section, and there's a whole slew of really good resources that I've provided that you can just kind of click on and purchase if you're interested, okay? Okay. Um, So this morning, we're talking about one of the most central issues of the Christian faith, and that is the issue of rescue. To be a Christian is to believe that we have been rescued by God through Christ. It's the most basic and most fundamental principle of Christianity. It's more than just the fact that we believe in God, that we pray to Him, that He can make our lives happier. It includes all those things, but it includes something so much more important, and this is the core of Christianity, that we were sinners separate from God, rescued by Jesus Christ through faith. Okay? It's a core issue of that we don't save ourselves is a core issue. So this morning I want to consider, we're going to do this in two parts, this week and next week, because there's a lot to say. This week I want to talk about our rescue as accomplished by the work of Christ at the cross. So this morning we're going to consider Jesus' part in rescuing us, and we want to answer the question, why did Christ die? What was his death all about? Next week, we want to see the manward part, the human part. In other words, what's, what part do I play in this? That is the work of Christ in us to bring us to himself. So we're going to talk about why did Christ die this week and next, next week. What do I need to do about it? That's, that's the basic idea, this week and next week. And I hope that you can join us for both weeks. Obviously, you're here this week, so you got one down. Um, there's an author that I pointed out in our resources. His name's Paul Little, writes a wonderful little book called Know What You Believe. Okay? And there's another book that he is called Know Why You Believe. Is there a God? Why is the Bible God's Word? It asks all these questions. But Know What You Believe is doing something very similar that I'm doing this morning. What is Christianity? What are the basics of it? He points out in his book, he says, the cross of Christ, the cross of Jesus Christ has been called by many the central fact of human history now that's a bold claim but hopefully we'll understand by the end of the sermon why we believe that's true it's come to symbolize the christian faith in general right we we understand that the cross when it's erected usually is a reference to christianity we put it in our churches right it's behind me right now we tattoo it onto our arms and our bodies don't we we, do, we wear it around our necks, maybe on our fingers. Right? It's, it's become a symbol um, for many who are in the faith of the work of Christ, and unfortunately for many in our culture, it's, it's mere decoration. Um, how many people have ever been to like a national um, burial ground for fallen soldiers? The site is awe-inspiring, and you can see one of these on the screen here, where you just get a bird's-eye view and these crosses are shadowing the graves of many fallen heroes. It's the symbol of heroism and life, isn't it? Um, we've come to know and respect the cross in many different contexts in our culture. And what? So we got to ask the question: What is so special about Jesus? And why do we take all these pains to remember his death, to remember to to remember him? Why is he on our lips? Why do we still meet to talk about him and remember him? And I I want to suggest to you this morning that it's not just because of his miraculous birth, as wonderful as that was, that he was born of a virgin. It's not just because of his profound wisdom. And who could forget the Beatitudes? Blessed are those who trust, right? All the blessings that he taught us in the Beatitudes. It's not just because of his profound wisdom or his incredible displays of compassion or power in his miracles the the reason that we remember christ is not because of those things the reason that we we remember christ is because of the cross that's the only reason we're talking about him this morning two thousand years later you see there are many people that have left, left us profound wisdom and there are some people in this world that maybe know their names and talk about them and they're meaningful but not to the magnitude of Christ and the way that people consider him and think about him. And I believe that this is because very simply of what he did at the cross. That's what changes everything. That's what is so meaningful to us about our faith, his death. And it's simply for this reason. It's because at the cross, God closed the gap of separation between fallen and sinful humanity and a holy God. He saved us, in other words. He created us to live for and love Him. Our sin cast us out of His presence, and that's why we're all confused and insecure and searching for meaning. But the cross forgives sin and restores the relationship with God and provides for us everything that we've been looking for this whole time in our lives. Isn't that great? The cross does that. Now, I know the resurrection does that too, but the cross is central to our redemption, and to our salvation. Christ said this himself. The Son of Man came, why? To heal the sick, to speak kindness? No, he didn't say that. He said the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost in Luke chapter 9, verse 10. The Son of Man, he said, did not come to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, friends, in Christ's coming, that is to seek and to save the lost, the way he seeks them and saves them is by giving his life for them at the cross. That's the words of Christ. At the cross, God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. That is the unabashed message of Christianity throughout the ages, that we are desperately lost and we cannot do anything about it. We cannot be good enough. We can't go to church enough. We can't give enough, enough money away. We cannot save ourselves. We can't do it. Many have tried. All have failed, including myself. Christianity teaches simply this, that at the cross of Christ, Jesus does for us what we could not do for ourselves. He does it. And Christianity is simply believing, trusting, leaning on the work of Christ, instead of our own work. That's the cross of Christ. It's what makes Christianity so radical and so different. It's the way sinners are forgiven and brought back into the purpose of their existence and the source of their peace. Right relationship with your maker. It's why you were created. It's why you were born. It is the ultimate source of peace and joy for you in your life. So this morning... I want to expand on the question, why did Christ die? According to Scripture, Christ's death was three things. We're going to expound on these. It was a substitute, it was necessary, and it is a finished work. Okay? It is a substitute, it is necessary, and it is a finished work. So let's talk about it. Okay? First, is, it, that is it is a substitute. Our text says, He made him who knew no sin, in other words, he did not need to be separated from, from the presence of God because of any failure of His. He knew no sin. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin, to become our sin on our behalf. He's a substitute so that we might become His righteousness. There's a trade. Our sin and our death is put on Him and His righteousness and obedience, what we should have been the whole time, is put on us. So according to Scripture, the death of Christ is a substitute. The substitutionary death of Jesus is described in a few different ways, and I want to unpack that for you this morning. The first way that we see Christ as a substitute in the Bible is the way that it's described is that Christ is a sacrifice. Number one, Isaiah chapter 53 very clearly teaches us that the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Genesis 3, you go back to the very beginning of the Bible, Adam and Eve sinned, they're separate from God, but God makes a promise. He, <clears throat> it's the first place that God promises that a Savior is going to come and be a sacrifice, in other words, die for us in our place. We see this in these words in Genesis chapter 3, that he shall bruise his heel, that is the snake, the serpent. He shall bruise his heel, but he, the seed of man, the Savior, will crush the serpent's head. That's what it says. It's a promise. So what does this mean? It means very simply that the Savior is going to conquer the curse of sin, which is death. But it's going to cost him his life. It will bruise his heel. That's the figure of speech. It's going to cost him his life. His heel is bruised but he takes the sting of death by crushing its head, conquering it. Does that make sense? So Jesus said, watch this beautifully, John chapter 5, all of these scriptures are about me. So when you read in Isaiah 53 about the one who will have all of our sins laid on him, that lamb, that sacrifice, And in in Genesis chapter 3, the one who's going to have his heel bruised by conquering death for us, Jesus said, these scriptures are about me. They're not about you. You're not the one that conquers it. I'm the substitute. I'm the sacrifice. I'm the fill-in. I do for you what you can't do for yourself. And in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 12, when Jesus had offered for all time one sacrifice, not many. He sat down at the right hand of God. So Jesus is the fulfillment of these promises. You remember in Genesis chapter 3 in the Old Testament, God promises Abraham that a seed would come, be this seed to conquer death, and this is Christ. That he would be a blessing to all humanity. And in our text in 2 Corinthians 5, how does he bless us? He blesses us by giving us His righteousness and therefore reconciling us with God so that we can be with Him again. You see? He takes the sting, the curse of sin and death and He blesses us with His righteousness. That's that substitute. A transfer. So the Old Testament, you know, describes the sacrificial system. Did you know about that? Over and over again, if you've ever read the Old Testament, you see animals being sacrificed to god you know this begins sort of at passover and if you remember passover is that place where the children of israel were delivered from the angel of death where the angel of death was going to come into israel and egypt and take the firstborn and this is all figurative how we all stand under the curse of death but who was delivered that day from the angel of death well anyone God instructed Moses, tell the children of Israel and Egypt, by the way, to spread the blood of a sacrifice over your doorposts, and when the angel of death sees it, he will pass over it. That's where we get the word Passover from. In other words, the sacrifice, the death of the lamb, is a substitute for what those inside deserve. So the judgment passes over those inside those sheltered safe under the refuge of the blood of the sacrifice. You see where this is going? You see friends, this Old Testament sacrificial system all points to a greater and better sacrifice. We're told all over the Bible in various ways the old in the Old Testament the Israelites were instructed to perform these sacrifices. The first 5 books of the Bible, Genesis excuse me, Exodus through Revelation hinted at in Genesis, talks about how to do these sacrifices in a temple, right? So all of the subsequent sacrifices made in this tent had this imagery, had similar imagery of the Passover. Friends, it says simply this, because our sins have separated us from God, it leaves us under the curse of death and an endless search for meaning. You can read this in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2 the Israelites, because of this, were instructed to symbolize this separation by making a tent, a tabernacle, a temple. And God would rest in a certain place, an, an inner tent of this bigger tent. And no one was allowed in there. A, 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 um, a veil was put up that only the priests could enter into. So here the, in this tent, is, there's this picture of God being separate from us. He was never supposed to be separate from us we were supposed to have kind loving compassionate relationship with him but we're cut off now and we're insecure desperately trying to find the meaning to our lives that connection back but because that veil has separated us from god the high priest because he was under sin would need to make a sacrifice before he could enter into the holy presence of god because if he entered into, if sin would enter into the holy presence of god he would be judged with death so he would have to make a sacrifice. Well, fr- so, And he would go, this priest would go into the presence of God with the sacrifice representing all of the nation of Israel so that their sins would be forgiven, so that they could approach God and have his blessing and have his presence. Well, you know what the New Testament says about Christ in Hebrews? That Jesus is the perfect high priest that entered God's presence, the heavenly temple, With his own blood. He's the priest and the lamb. Isn't that incredible? He's the priest in that he represents his people who have had faith in him, and he is the lamb who presents his own blood as an atonement, a a, a satisfaction for our sin. Isn't that incredible? So, in Jesus, in Hebrews chapter 10, it says this the law is a shadow of the good things that are coming. And it means here, the law, the Old Testament sacrificial system, right? These are a shadow of the good things that have come, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near. Do you see what it's saying? It's saying that the, high, the human high priest would have to continually make this sacrifice because it cannot make us perfect. He sets aside in, in, in chapter 9, excuse me, in verse 9, he sets aside the first, this old system, to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, the priest offers the same sacrifice, which cannot take away sin, but when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Do you see what's happening here? The better sacrifice, the Lamb of God, presents his blood one time to the Father as our substitute. You see, Christ is a substitute for us as a sacrifice. And number two, you know what this means? This is beautiful. He is our reconciliation with God, number two. So as a substitute, he is a sacrifice. He is our reconciliation with God. Or our atonement. Sometimes we hear this word. And the meaning of this is simple. Jesus is the bringing together of two that have gone estranged. Have you ever gone estranged with someone? Has you ever had a conflict with a person and your relationship with them has been cut off? You see, friends, that is the sad condition of every person apart from Christ. We are cut off from the good and kind favor and blessing of our God. You see, but in Christ is the bringing together of the two that have become estranged. It does this by covering, atoning. That's what this word means. Covering the sin and forgiving it, therefore forgiving it. And that covering, how does our sin get covered? Well, we read about it in Hebrews chapter 9. It's by the blood of Christ. The law requires that everything be cleansed with blood. And this has been confusing for some why. Why why does God use the symbol of blood? Because it's death, death for death. You see, friends, if if our sin against God is death, and that's separation from God, then the only remedy... The only satisfaction is another death. Eye for eye. Right? If you steal a dollar from me, you need to give me a dollar back, not a hundred. That wouldn't be fair. Right? So for, God's, for God to be satisfied by a sacrifice, it needs to come by death. The law requires that everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands, He's talking, he's talking about the Old Testament temple now, right? He didn't enter into that one like the high priest did to forgive Israel's sins. No. He didn't enter that sanctuary made with human hands. That was just a copy of the true one, the one in heaven. He entered heaven itself, the temple, the heavenly temple, the presence of God, the real presence of God to appear for us in God's presence He has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice himself. Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. You following this? This is beautiful. This covering, this sacrifice, he approaches God. What's the outcome? The outcome is reconciliation. Now all these things are from God, we read in 2 Corinthians, who reconciled us to himself two people who were in conflict at enmity with each other are now friends by the blood of Christ. Isn't that fantastic? That is because the blood of Christ is the satisfaction for God's anger towards sin. Romans 5.10 For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life. See, the death of Christ is a substitute as a sacrifice, a reconciliation, and number three, as a satisfaction. I already said a little, uh, uh, just a moment ago that the word atonement means covering. Think of it this way. The death of Christ covers that, that which made us enemies with God, which is sin. Right? So say we're out at a restaurant. Right? And, and you tell me, I'm going to pay for the meal. Okay? I'm gonna, you get whatever you want. And I get a big, juicy steak and a lobster because I take advantage of that. Right? I, I take advantage of free meals. Know that if you ever ask me out. <laughs> so you take me out. Get whatever you want. So we're at Capitol Hill. We're in Providence. Give me the steak and lobster. Right? So I'm sitting there. And we're eating. And we have this big meal. It's delicious. And then finally, the end of the meal comes. And you start doing one of these things. Right? Uh-oh. Where's my wallet? You left your wallet in your car. It's gone. So I say, okay, yeah, sure, you forgot it, right? So this is, what do I say? I got you covered. In other words, you owe a debt, and I'm going to cover it. You owe a debt to who? I don't know, Mr. Capital Grill, right? You owe a debt to him. You're not going to leave without getting that thing paid. But I'm going to cover it for you that covering satisfies the debt that you owe, right? That's what happens. The Bible says that the blood of Jesus Christ satisfies the debt that you owe to God, which is your death. You see, He dies it in your place as your substitute, and that satisfies God's anger to sin, what, you, what we owe Him, so to speak. It's covered by Christ. And number three, this is, this is another way to look at it that jesus is our substitute as a sacrifice reconciliation satisfaction and as a ransom price for our redemption that means to be set free the word redemption means to be set free you see there were slaves in this in this world that they lived in and to be redeemed would would mean that someone purchased you out of slavery so you're free the the price that you owe it was called a ransom So if if someone paid the ransom price for you, it would mean that you were redeemed from slavery. Well, Scripture says that we're a slave to sin, separate from God, Um, and this is called death. Well, the the way that we're redeemed, the purchase price, the ransom price, that satisfies God the the debt we owe God is the blood of Christ. Now imagine it like this, another illustration. You get slammed with an IRS audit. You ever been there? I hope not but you get slammed with an IRS audit and you find out that you owe the government $50,000. Now, how many people have that kind of coin under their mattress? Probably not many, right? So you you find this out and you're in big trouble now. What are you going to do, okay? What will satisfy, what will propitiate, it's another word for satisfy in the Bible, what will propitiate the debt that you owe? What will, what will satisfy justice for the IRS? What will you think? 50 bucks? No. Paid in full is what will satisfy the government. They don't want a check for $25,000. You owe 50, and what will satisfy, what will propitiate this debt is that payment. Now, you don't have it, though. What are you going to do? Uh-oh. You're going to flee to Mexico or Canada, do something like this. I suppose you could try that. You don't have the money, but imagine now you got a dad, right? You don't just have a dad. Your dad is the commissioner of the internal revenue, right? So not, not only is your dad awesome, but he's, he's like the warden with the keys when you just got locked up, right? This is your dad. Now, it wouldn't be just. Imagine, like, my son, and I'm the, the commissioner of the internal revenue, and he's got a debt. You, you all owe a debt, too, and he's got a debt, and I just pay his and say, oh, you've got to pay up, right? How many people would like that in here? Now, lock him up, right? Lock that guy up. That's not fair. That's nepotism, right? Like, so, so your dad is the commissioner of the internal revenue, but it's not just for him to simply just delete the debt. But because he knows that you owe that debt, and that debt puts you in conflict with him because he's the commissioner, He decides to give you a gift from his own wealth. He gives you the money that you owe. And you can pay it. And that payment satisfies justice. You see? That that could very well happen to any one of us in here. I'm sure it's happened to some of us in real life. Maybe not, not to that extent. We found ourselves in trouble. We owed some money to someone. And a friend or a family member said, I got it covered. Now, the the IRS, your friend or family or the mafia, they don't really care where the money comes from, right? Or how you got it. Well, maybe the government does a little. They don't really care that it was a gift or it came from someone else. You gave it to them. Someone gave it to you. It's now in your possession. Possession's nine-tenths of the law, right? You gave it to them. The debt is paid. It's owed. what What has been owed has been paid. In a similar way, friends, the penalty that we owe, a just God, He provided for us. We were redeemed. He didn't just let us off the hook. He didn't just forgive the debt. He paid it himself. You see? We were redeemed according to 1 Peter chapter 1, ransomed, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Do you see now the importance, the impact, the the, the purpose of Christ's death on the cross? So the death of Christ then is a substitute. It is an acceptable sacrifice for sin. It is the reconciliation of two that are, were at enmity with each other. It satisfies, it propitiates the debt owed in that it's the ransom price to release sinners from slavery, to redeem them. The price of redemption is the ransom of the blood of Christ. Oh, isn't that great news? I hope I didn't lose you all. If you're a little confused Listen to this again, because this is good stuff. And I'm not, saying it, I'm not saying that because I'm saying it. This is God's Word. This is what Jesus has done for us. This is the Gospel. So, number one, the work of Christ is the substitute. Number two, it's necessary. Let me explain to you what I mean here. The death of Christ for sin is necessary for several reasons. For three, okay? Because all are sinners separate from God, number one. Number two... Because God cannot simply overlook sin. We've said some of this already, but I'm going to expound. Because all are sinners separate from God, number one. Number two, because God cannot simply overlook sin. And number three, because there is no other sacrifice that will satisfy God's justice. There's no other payments that we can look to. So let's unpack this. Number one, all are sinners separate from God. The reason that the death of Christ is necessary is because we are all sinners. It's, all, it's necessary for all of us to be saved. We all need a Savior. There is not an exception that has ever lived or ever been. Scripture abounds in its clear and unprejudiced outlook on the human condition. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God in Romans chapter 3. And the wages of sin is death in Romans chapter 6. Separation from God. All of us have gone astray. Isaiah chapter 53. But he he has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13, God cannot tolerate sin. It cannot be in his presence. It says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Friends, if he could tolerate it, then it would never be settled. And none of us want that. None of us want to live in a world where it's okay, where injustices exist. We want a God that settles them, don't we? So for this reason, God can't simply overlook sin. That was our second point. Because God is holy, his nature cannot allow anything that stands in opposition to who he is. It must be removed or paid for. It it would not be just for the commissioner of the internal revenue to simply wipe out our debt because you're related to him. That wouldn't be fair. God cannot overlook sin. It contradicts who he is and it minimizes the impact of it it matters. It destroys us. It destroys lives. It's destroyed heaven and earth. And by heaven, I mean the angelic world. The justice is satisfied. By the way, God's anger towards sin will be satisfied in either one of two ways. And this is a hard and sobering truth, I know. But it's it's satisfied in your death or Jesus. Your death in that, you, that without Christ you'll be separated from the presence of God forever. Or, with Jesus, it's satisfied in His death and you are reconciled to God forever. You see, those are the only two options that were given in Scripture. Romans chapter 3, verse 26. Through the cross of God, excuse me, through the cross, God is just. And the one who justifies those who have faith in him. You see, for God to wipe out our sin, he needs to be just in doing so. So, what he does is he sacrifices Christ. That's the payment, that's how he covers it for us Christ. It's necessary. So all our sinners, it's necessary because all our sinners separate from God. It's necessary, number two, because God cannot simply overlook sin. And number three, because there is no other sacrifice that will satisfy God's justice. You say, okay, is Jesus just like one payment among many that God will be satisfied by? Like, does is, is this coming here count? Does it not matter that I don't believe in Jesus or I reject him? Right? Well, according to Scripture, it does matter. And we'll explain why. There is no other sacrifice that will will satisfy God's justice. Hebrews chapter 10 says this. The law can never make perfect those who draw near to worship. This is basically saying this. There is no other payment that can save you except the payment of Christ. That's what it means by the law cannot make perfect. It means that there's no amount of obedience that you can have towards God that will save you you can't do it on your own you see friends that might sound like man that stinks but does it I mean don't we just kind of like want someone to fill in for us because we just sort of know innately that something's missing with me I can't do this on my own and you know that because it's true God has to rescue you. Christ has to save you. We have been made holy, it says in Hebrews 10, through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Day after day, priests try this. They offer the same sacrifices, but they can't take away sin. And friends, you come day after day. You go to work. It can't take away sin. Day after day, you love your kids. It can't take away sin. Week after week or month after month, you come to church. It can't remove it from you. You see, there is only one payment, one satisfaction for your sin and mine, and that is the death of Jesus Christ. So our job, very simply, is to lean on him, to trust him for it, that he'll save us. The only satisfaction of God's justice to save sinners is the death of Jesus Christ. It's not an animal sacrifice, it's not your works in Ephesians chapter 2, and there is no other God that can do it for you. Other sacrifices cannot make you perfect, forgive your sin. They are not acceptable to God. And that's why in Scripture, it repeatedly teaches us, such as in Acts chapter 4, that there is salvation in no other name except the name of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 3, they are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? If there was another avenue to be rescued, we could go after that, right? We could try that route. But according to Scripture, there's only one route. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the blood, the sacrifice, the payment, the ransom that you need. If you believe it's found in you, you'll only find one end to your life, and that is separation from God. But it is so unnecessary. The Bible says that God loves you so much that you don't have to stay there, that you just come to Him, that you surrender your life. You say yes to God and you trust in Christ. It's as simple as that. To trust in another sacrifice. To be reunited, reconciled with your God. And finally, oh, and this is great news. The work of Christ is a substitute. It is necessary. And finally, it is a finished work. It's done. It's complete. And friends, if it's complete, if it's done, if the work necessary is, to save us, is accomplished. That means that my work isn't contributing to it. So it also means, do the math with me. To trust in the work that's done, if it's done, brings me the assurance of eternal life. In other words, if it's not done, if I have to do it, then I can't really know that I'll be saved. But if it is done by someone else, and it's finished, if it's completed... Than I can know. That's why Christians can tell you, if they know this, if they know the gospel, when I die, I will be face-to-face with Jesus Christ because the work of redemption is finished. The payment has been paid. It's done. And the Bible promises my salvation consequently. To trust in Christ will of necessity save you. Isn't that great? Not maybe, It will absolutely remove your sin once for all and you will be guaranteed eternal life and that is the hope of every Christian. When you trust in Christ, God, now these are bold words, I'm going to back them up in a second. When When you trust in God, God is required to save you. Not because of us, but because of who he is. When you trust in Christ, God is obligated to save you. You have to end up in heaven when you die. And let me explain to you why. Hebrews chapter 2. When Jesus had offered for all time one sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of God. The work is is finished. He sat down. He offered it once, not many times. And then in Hebrews 9, he didn't enter, nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest did in the Old Testament in the holy place with the blood of a lamb Otherwise, Christ would have to suffer many times since the creation of the world. He would, because we keep on sinning, don't we? We keep on losing it. We don't get it. So if it didn't work once, he's going to have to do it again and again. Does that make sense? Second Corinthians chapter 5, it says this, Therefore, because the work is done once, if you are in Christ, you are new, you're a new creature, and who you were before is gone. It's done. You say, well, what, what, what about tomorrow? <laughs> what about who I am tomorrow? Well, then tomorrow, the same verse applies. You see, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new, tr- new creature. Old things are passed away. You say, okay, all right, dude. This is more next week, but I'm going to introduce it to you now. What, what's to keep me from just doing whatever the heck I want then? If I'm saved by grace through faith as a gift, if it's a work done for me by someone else, and I just need to trust in it, why, why, do, why come here? Why pray why do anything why why be good why not just like you know look at pornography and cheat on my wife i mean who cares right you see friends that's not what salvation does and we'll get that we'll get to that more in a second because the bible says that when god saves you when the lights go on you're born again and you are new i'll use the same verse if anyone in in, is is in christ he is a new creature you see you don't think like that anymore See, when you get who Jesus is, you want to be like Him, and you want to follow Him. But that's the fruit, not the root. It's not what saves you. The fruit doesn't save you. The root saves you, and that's the work, the finished work of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? The one-time sacrifice is the payment price, and to be in Christ is to have assurance of eternal life. The debt is paid, and it doesn't need to be paid again and again. The death of Christ is an actual and one-time payment and that is to say it is a free gift. You receive it by grace through faith. It's not of yourselves in Ephesians chapter 2. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life the moment they believe in John chapter 3. In Romans chapter 6, the wages of sin is, is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. You don't work for it. It's given to you. For a gift to be gracious, it can't be paid for, right? Either before or after the gift is given. If I give you a gift and I say, oh, you know, I'm going to give you a gift. I don't even want anything for it. And then two weeks later I say, hey, I gave you that gift. Where's mine? It's not a gift anymore, right? If you're expecting, if you're requiring something in return, it's not a gift. You see, friends, salvation is a free gift. The free gift of God is eternal life. Christ doesn't need to die again and again like some people believe happens when we take communion, like a re-crucifying of Jesus. He doesn't he, he doesn't pay part of the debt and we pay the rest of it in purgatory. Right? He doesn't pay half and we pay the other half. Like, like parents do for college sometimes. He pays it all. The work of salvation is a completed past event in the death and resurrection of Christ to be received as God's free and gracious gift paid in full. Isn't that great news? And because the work of Jesus is done, we can know... We can know if we are indeed in Christ that we have been made right with God. You can have the assurance of life. You know, that's why John says in 1 John, I write these things so that you will know that you have eternal life. His justice has been satisfied. The debt has been paid. And by faith in Christ, God is obligated by his own nature because his justice has been satisfied to save you. He owes it to himself to save you because of who he is. Hebrews chapter 6 really drives this home. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things, the death of Christ, his word, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us, trusted in Christ, right? That's what it's saying. May be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. You see, he enters the holy place representing us with our payments so that we can enter right behind him. Isn't that great news? You see, friends, you were born for this. God created you for this, to enter into his presence. He didn't make you so that you could be married and be famous or have lots of money or power. He didn't do those things. He didn't make you for those things. He made you so that you would walk as the heavenly entourage into his presence and his blood presented by the great high priest Jesus Christ rips down the veil and by faith we can enter boldly and have an anchor to our soul. Have the confidence assurance of eternal life. Amen? Isn't that great? You see friends, the work of Christ was a substitute. It was a necessity, and it is a finished work. Let's pray.